This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. I seriously love BetterHelp so much. They're one of my favorite sponsors, and I will tell you why I love them so much. When I started this podcast, I was going through a really rough time. I'm talking drug relapse, drug addiction, drug abuse, relationship issues, anxiety, depression. I was going through one of the craziest moves of my life, so therapy really helped me get through a lot of that. And online therapy is, in my opinion, even better than going to a therapist's office because, let's face it, our lives have changed the last year or so, and I just feel like online therapy is the best way to go. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and you can start communicating with them in less than 48 hours. They really do match you with, with a therapist so quickly. It takes, in my case, less than 24 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online. And there's a broad range of expertise available, which might not really be locally available in all areas. The service is available for clients worldwide, and it's super easy to access your account. You can log in, you can send a message to your counselor really at any time you want, and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions, whatever you prefer. I like to do phone sessions sometimes because sometimes I like to, to go on a walk when I, go on, when I do my therapy sessions. It's really up to you. Traditional therapy can come with kind of a stressful energy attached to it. So I really love how BetterHelp is really controlled by the, the patient. If you want to connect with your therapist and communicate something with them, they have a journal feature, which I absolutely love. This journal feature has the option of sharing your journal entries with your therapist, but if you want to keep them totally uh, private and anonymous towards yourself, you don't have to share them with your therapist. But I really like this feature because for many of us, starting fresh with a new therapist gives us a lot of anxiety and it can trigger us. Um, so if you feel like that, you're not alone. I felt the same exact way because let's face it, a new therapist has to ask questions and try to get on the same page as where their client is. And sometimes rehashing our, our history of trauma and all the details can become kind of exhausting and a little bit annoying. So what I do when I start with a new therapist, like I did on BetterHelp, is I use the journal feature and I wrote kind of a lengthy email explaining to the therapist where what I've been through in the last few years, where I'm at right now, what I'm looking for in therapy, and what kind of therapy I've done, what kind of therapy I'm interested in, and what I'd like um, out of a therapist. So this is super important. If starting with a brand new therapist gives you panic or anxiety or stress, 
This is the most stress-free approach you could possibly do. I love how they matched me with someone with the experience and qualifications that I asked for. I personally asked for a therapist who had some experience with eating disorders, depression, and relationship trauma. Once BetterHelp matched me with my therapist, she messaged me right away and then I scheduled my first session with her for that week. The process is easy, effortless, and stress-free. BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. So if you're going through a hard time right now, and let's face it, so many of us are, whether it's emotional turbulence, depression, anxiety, relationship issues, LGBTQ issues, whatever it is, body image, self-esteem, BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit betterhelp.com vibe. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, and join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Vibe within listeners, you get 10% off of your first month of online counseling at betterhelp.com slash vibe. That's betterhelp.com slash vibe. Betterhelp.com slash vibe. Go start online therapy. DM me on Instagram. Let me know how it's going. And I hope that you get the help, the support, and the healing that you deserve. Welcome to the Vibe Within Podcast. I'm your host, Gab Cohen. Each week, we will connect through stories and conversations about wellness, yoga, addictions, spirituality, mental health, rituals, and everything in between. The goal is to transform our traumas into strengths to create the change we desire in our lives. My mission is to help others by shining awareness on real-life topics so we can learn new ways to heal physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Whatever you are going through in this moment, you are not alone. So let's connect and heal our vibe within. She said she used to be a part of the scouts. They nearly meet a leader one time. They didn't have enough thread to sew the patches on. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. I took a little bit of a breather from the pod. Um, just to kind of recalibrate and recenter myself. I was having kind of a hard time, not going to lie. I was uh, living in Tampa with my family, and, you know, I still do live there, but right now I'm actually in Mexico visiting my friend, and um, very grateful, and I feel privileged to be here, and I know that some people don't have the privilege to travel, um, so... I am here, um, and the reason why I'm in Mexico is because I was in a really dark place. Um, I was living at my mom's, you know, it's her and my stepdad and our animals, Um, and I was there from January to April, and I feel like, I don't know if it's me or if you guys can resonate with this, but it seems like there's these three-month trajectories that are that are occurring and it's like these timelines that start to collapse once it's three months it's like 
things are feeling good, you're, you're really feeling good in your routine, you, you made some changes, and then after three months of that, it starts to collapse and it starts to, to dissolve and everything that was making you feel good is now making you feel horrible and it's kind of like, you know, there, and too much of anything can make you feel crappy, right? So I was really stuck in my routine. I was, you know, really focused on therapy and, and you know, healing and recovery and, and you know, just trying to, to get through this kind of dark time. And I had to be real with myself and I had to say, you know, you know, should I force myself to just push through and, you know, get my bootstraps up and, you know, that whole thing or should I go against you know the shadow work and surrender to it and kind of take a little trip for myself and um, I know that we're still in COVID and everything but things are starting to lighten up a little bit and solo travel has always been it's just always been an experience for me to dive back into myself and not be so um so like affected by the the people's energy that's around me because living with family is not easy i mean if you're not familiar with ramdas which i'm sure you are uh one of his most famous quotes was like if you want if you want enlightenment or you want to be enlightened go spend a week with your family and you know, that just rings true to me so much because living with family, I'm faced with triggers every single day. I'm faced with, you know, my trauma and my experiences that I'm still healing from and being around the dynamic of my mother. And, you know, she's she's a person too. She's been through trauma before. Um, but unfortunately, people who are older, you know, maybe baby boomers or, you know, 50s, 60s, people in that age range, they come from a different time and speaking about trauma and speaking about emotional, you know, stuff and mental health um, doesn't come as easily and naturally to them. So it's really been a, a journey and a learning experience to kind of pick and choose my battles and understand that I can't change my mom. I can't change the relationship she has with, you know, my stepdad. And I can only be in charge of my energy. I can only, I can only choose how I feel by the rituals and the things that I do and staying focused on myself and um, finding that forgiveness and finding that compassion um, for things that I can't change has really been hard. It's been really hard. And when I start to get um, in the darkness, you know, in the anger, in the bitterness, in the depression, in the anxiety, I have to really check myself and be like, okay, well, what can I do to get myself out of this? Instead of just like sitting in my shit, you know, and and allowing myself to just melt into depression and just be a victim 
Um, sometimes, you know, changing the scenery and really just getting out of your current experience, um, even if it's in like the most minuscule of ways. And I know I talk about this a lot on the on previous episodes, mainly the the most recent episodes. But you know, if you can change your environment and get out of the current experience, you can. Sometimes that means just going and taking a walk or a bike ride or you know, going to the park, like 20 minutes is usually how much it takes for the brain to kind of settle when you're going through a very stressful or chaotic time, especially like if you're, if you're triggered or you're going through some kind of altercation or fight with someone or, you know, disagreement. Um, sometimes it's better to wait 20 minutes before you do any communication because it lets your body kind of recalibrate and all the hormones and all the stress and adrenaline and and everything. So basically that's why I'm here in Mexico right now, um, to integrate, to let my body heal, to do less because I was doing a lot when I was in Florida. I was working out. I was, you know, kind of beating up my body a little bit because of my anxiety and it was the only way for me to kind of move through that discomfort and that anger and the triggers so that's what I mean when I was saying even good things in large doses can be too much and can be extreme and I tend to um, do the exercise and you know, that kind of stuff, like gym related stuff, I can, I can definitely push it to the edge. So my intention of being here in Mexico is to do less, to be more intentional, to focus on healing my body. And I'm going to actually get more into that, um, integration and, and I'm going to do a whole episode on integration and what I'm doing here in, in Mexico and, um, what I've been needing to do with my with my recovery, with just disordered eating and and just body image and how I'm integrating practices and rituals, what I have to stop doing and what I'm starting to do more of and you know what I'm talking to my therapist about. So it's gonna be a juicy episode. I'm I'm actually gonna start recording that after I do this intro. So I'm gonna try to make this intro nice and short and sweet, but um, I can't wait to share with you guys about the Temescal sweat lodge ceremonies that I do here. I can't wait to tell you guys about um, just like get deeper into integration and like what that actually means because we hear that word a lot and it's such a buzzword and like a wooey kind of word, just like manifestation, you know? Um, But when, when you hear integration, I mean, there's so many different places you could go with that and some people don't even know what what it feels like to integrate and heal and do this shadow work and light work but also like live your life and also have a life and not be so like drowning you know not drowning in in the trauma and the healing and the work like I think right now it's very, it's a very hot topic to talk about the work, you know, the inner work. Um, And it can, it can get to the point where it's too much. So if this, if this topic resonates with you, I did actually record an episode already and it's, a lot of you guys uh, messaged me about how 
you resonated with it. So you can go and listen to the You've Graduated from Shadow Work School, um, where I talk about, you know, being in the deep end of shadow work and how to kind of integrate joy and living and gratitude and taking a step out of the deep end of shadow work. So that was um, the episode from March 16th. You graduated from shadow work school. It's time to integrate and feel lighter. So I recommend going and listening to that if you haven't already. Um, honestly, the the last few episodes, I've, I've been talking a lot about, you know, taking taking a break away from shadow work and and stepping into our lives that are in front of us and finding that balance so yeah so we're just going to get right into the episode this episode is with Kino McGregor um for those of you who don't know who Kino is Kino is an American Ashtanga yoga teacher, author, entrepreneur, influencer, inspirational speaker, and video producer. At 29 years old, she became one of the youngest people to receive the certification to teach Ashtanga yoga by its founder in Mysore, India. She is Miami-based. She has like 2 million followers on Instagram. She's written several books about Ashtanga yoga, um, you know, beginning the yoga practice. And she also has been known to open up on her Instagram and on interviews and articles about uh, sexual assault in within the yoga industry, the dark side of the yoga industry. Um, I've looked up to Kino for years and our paths never crossed in person. I was living in Miami for about five years and we have a lot of mutual friends, but our, our paths never crossed. So it was really awesome to have her come on the podcast and have a really just laid back like conversation about yoga, about trauma, about healing, about how to get through rock bottoms. She talks a lot about her experience with, you know, what got her into yoga and drugs and partying. And then, yeah, we do get into a little bit of the dark side of spirituality and, you know, masculine energies in the spiritual realms and how they can be kind of overbearing and manipulative. And, you know, we talk about a lot of stuff. We talk a lot of, we talk about um, Instagram and social media and how, it can really take away from our healing um, experience and how it's such a how it's such a slippery slope with with social media and how the yoga industry has kind of transformed into this you know big realm of semi-toxic ways of looking at yoga and you know a lot of attention seeking people and I think social media is an amazing thing to connect people, especially with practices to heal and ideas and um, and all that. But uh, it it also has a dark side to it. So this conversation is full of duality, which I love. And Kino is just super chill, super laid back. I 
I loved this conversation so much and I hope that I can connect with her once I eventually move back to Miami because I know that that's definitely in the cards for me. I'm just not sure when, but I definitely miss all of my yoga students. If you're listening from Exhale, from Equinox, all my friends in Miami, I really do miss it there. Um, I've just been, you know, taking that long divine pause that COVID kind of all forced us to do, right? So without further ado, let's get into this conversation with Kino McGregor. So I just want to say thank you so much for doing this with me, first of all. It's really awesome to meet you in face-to-face kind of person, uh, COVID version, because you're from Miami um, and you have lived there for quite some time and our paths have crossed, I want to say, several times, and we know some of the same people, but we've never met in person. So, Well, it's a pleasure, and thanks for having me on the podcast, and I'm looking forward to this time together. Yeah. Uh, I, I like to check in with my guests before we get into anything. Just like, how are you feeling today? Like, what's going on in your world today? How, like, what's in the forefront of your mind well, today has been actually kind of busy uh, because uh, yesterday a friend of mine and I, we took a little trip for her birthday. So today I've been kind of playing a little bit of catch up and I was kind of almost offline all of last week from a big teaching. So today I've been having a lot of meetings. I had three meetings, which is a lot and kind of like long meetings and some kind of intense and then, you know, I do my practice and practice and I managed to get in a little bit of time on working on a on an important project that's like a personal project of mine so that's always really exciting cool so when you say like you've been offline does that mean like you've been spending time off Instagram or just all social media in general I meant that I didn't check my phone basically for the whole day at all so I didn't text anyone I didn't email anyone I didn't read the news it wasn't on Instagram except for the challenge that I'm hosting so this one on the challenge did the challenge and then you know we were driving and talking and just like existing you know without any internet connectivity and we even drove through a total internet dead zone which was very interesting (laughs) I feel like today's been the complete opposite for me (laughs) because I've been on my phone way too much and it got to the point where I was like okay I really really need to take a step back because this is like activating my body on like a stress level Mm -hmm. what were you doing on the phone were you just like well actually okay since the kind of is synchronistic because I'm talking to you but there's this yoga competition which I don't really like the word competition Mm -hmm. um I got like a notification about it and it was like uh yoga warrior kind of like challenge thing and then like all the proceeds go to like a veterans yoga um kind of thing so I was like okay that sounds like a cool you know good cause um and so I like registered and then it just seemed a little bit, it just seems sketchy to me. And I feel like I have a very like pessimistic attitude sometimes with these kinds of things because it's like through Facebook and it's like through like votes or you can like donate. And it's like, I don't know. I just been through a lot of weird situations in the yoga industry and it makes me very um, pessimistic slash realistic. I understand. So did you get sucked in and started to, watch or donate to this competition or was it online like I just uh, yeah it's like 
I, I just started like looking at like people's profiles and I was like, if this, if it really does go based on votes, then like, I don't know. It just, you start wondering if people are really telling the truth. And I was on my phone and I was just like, okay, I really need to like actually like step in front of this like being that like almost takes over takes control because I mean you can relate I'm sure like your your social media presence has gotten you to kind of where you are today um as far as like people knowing you and your brand and how how you're getting yoga out there and just like your story and everything like that like it wouldn't get out there if it wasn't for Instagram and everything like that so I don't know how you feel about Instagram but I'd love to know well you know what's interesting is that I was teaching before Instagram existed yeah I was teaching and I think I was even teaching before Facebook even existed so I feel like on one level, I'm really, really grateful for the tools of social media and the way that it connects people to everyone all over the world. And I'm super grateful to every student that you know takes the time to watch and practice with me online. And at the same time, I do have this really deep connection to you know the contact between teacher and student offline before this ability to connect, like as we we're connecting right now, even existed. You know, when I first started practicing yoga, like I think that. I mean, YouTube didn't exist. I, I Google was maybe just like starting out as a kind of random company. People were still on America online. My and <laughs> it feels like another world, you know? So my first contact with yoga was just like observing a class and then dropping in on a class. And then my first contact with the, say with the students here in Miami was opening, you know, actually like subbing classes around at other existing studios. And then when we opened our yoga studio here, you know, we got the word out by talking to people, just like real people. We made a flyer and right. we walked around and talked about yoga to local business owners, to the hotel concierges. And we made some, you know, strong community moves just to bring people into the, into the studio. You know, we have, and we still have, you know, a veterans discount, a, you know, a public school teachers discount, a senior citizens discount and scholarships for, um, you know, marginalized communities. And this is something we've done really very much from the beginning. And that's kind of, you know, how we got started is just talking to people and saying, hey, you know, we do yoga. Do you want to come down for a class? And, you know, uh, now that's turned into, you know, making a social media post and posting about it on Instagram. But I, I still really think that the essence of yoga is that human to human contact, yeah. whether we're getting a version of that virtually or we get that real life contact. And there's nothing... There's nothing more powerful than meeting someone and in person and feeling their energy and then feeling like, okay, yeah, I want to, sure, whatever you do, I want to go take your class. You're, you seem really awesome. Right. It's like about that energy and it's about like, okay, I like, I like that teacher's energy, so I'm going to keep going to their class. Mm -hmm. um, so now I feel like it's kind of flip-flopped and it's like people need to sell their energy to people. Yeah. People need to sell their vibe, you know, and like – it's just like, okay, like this is this is my vibe, like this is what you're in for. And it's, you know, with good reason because people don't want to waste money on like a yoga class that they're not going to enjoy. Um, but it makes it very salesy and marketing and it's just like overwhelming mm -hmm. at times. Oh, totally. You know, I mean, and then there's people that they don't, like I, I have a, a at least one student, probably many students, but at least one student that I know of who's a really, really great teacher and this particular student just said to me, you know, 
I just can't do the social media thing. I just can't do it. Does that mean that no one's ever going to, you know, hire me as a yoga teacher because I'm just not into it. I don't have, I haven't downloaded these apps on my phone and I don't want to, this is not what I'm about. I, right. I just want to show up and teach real people. And if I have to do that in a cave to one student, like that's fine with me. And so this student has gone down that path and is very, is very happy just to kind of spread on the, you know, the word of mouth and, I think maybe that the student has put up a website, but the, you know, is not just really not into that. And, you know, yeah. it's still, I think it's still possible with the human contact to, with the time and dedication to build, to, to build, to, to, to build a, a, a connection, a community, but it is something that's increasingly more difficult. You know, you go in as a new yoga teacher, you walk into a yoga studio and people are immediately like, what's your Instagram and how many yeah. followers do you have? And it's like this popularity contest that, isn't always about, you know, the people who are going to excel in terms of what image they're producing and the, the sort of presentation of a very defined, uh, you know, brand and image are not necessarily always or only the best teachers. There are going to be some great yoga teachers out there who are really, really bad at branding and marketing, but you put them in front of the room and they are amazing at holding the space of yoga. Yeah. So this is where I think there's some intersection between like the teachers and the studio owners. And, you know, if you own a studio, you're running a business. And if they're, if you're running an online platform, you're running a business. And then there's some teachers who are just not going to be good at that kind of, you know, branded marketing presentation. So in that sense, the studios and teachers, it can form a partnership where the studio is recognizing, okay, we're running a business. We're going to do the sales and marketing because we have, you know, bills to pay and, the right. landlord to pay and the lights got to get turned on and yeah all this and the sort heat of stuff. and you know yeah. all the hot I mean, yoga classes it's exactly. like exactly yeah so the, the teachers can make a good a good pair and as long as as long as it's a mutually supportive you know pair it can be really it can be a really fruitful relationship but you know the then the situation happens where you know the it's not always fruitful. You know, sometimes the business isn't run well. Sometimes the teacher, when they do show up, is awesome. But then, you know, running a studio, then it's a, it has to just be a really, really harmonious fit. Yeah, like there's two sides to that coin because, like, when I started doing yoga, it was um, – I mean, I think Instagram had just come out. Like, Instagram was out, but, like, it wasn't anything like it is today. And, you know, I would just go to a yoga class love the teacher's energy. I wouldn't feel the need to go find them on Instagram. I wouldn't, you know, and, and those, some of the best teachers I've ever taken classes with, like either don't have an Instagram or have like very little followers. And it's just like, I, you know, and I'm glad that that's how my yoga kind of like experience, you know, happened and, and was born because I can't imagine now, um, like, you know, being a yoga teacher is something that I think can help somebody as a human, just, just like, not just to get a, a really awesome looking practice, but it helps you with speaking and it helps you with confidence and it helps you with like finding your voice. And, but with that said, I don't feel like everybody's meant to be a yoga teacher. Like, I think we were talking about this offline a little bit the other day, how there's, influencers in the yoga space who really aren't even certified as yoga teachers but their practice is glorified because of how it looks on camera because they can take an awesome video they can take an awesome uh you know photo and it's like 
but they're not out there teaching. They're just behind a screen and they're just showing their practice, which is awesome, mm-hmm. but it's not the same as being a teacher. Oh, it's very different, you know, and I think that I, I respect some of the people on Instagram who write something like, you know, yoga model or fitness model or something like that who aren't teachers, but then they, they really put that out there as like, you know, I'm, I want to, I want to model yoga. I want to just demonstrate it. And I, mm-hmm. I really respect that because you're like, you're really, that is a thing. Like, yeah. It's yeah. a thing. And, you know, then like a clothing brand can, you know, contact you and say, you look really awesome in the clothes and, you right. know, you modeled these clothes in this, you know, in this, um, in this posture. And they, like you said, can take beautiful pictures, make wonderful, wonderfully engaging videos and this sort of thing. But teaching is something different. So the, the thing that I think is, is difficult in our, in our contemporary age of having everything given to us in, you know, short, uh, short little bites or flash images that roll through the mind screen is that sometimes we buy into that imagery and we make the mistaken association of conflating postural or physical ability with the depth of spiritual teaching. Mm-hmm. And this is something different, you know. I mean, I know as a teacher and anybody who teaches yoga knows this that there are students who they're going to walk in off the street and without any practice, they're going to just look amazing and and be super physically talented and physically able to just you know with very little effort just do this posture or that posture and there are other students that you know 10 years later they're still going to be struggling with that posture and i have poses that were easier for me and i have poses i'm still struggling with 20 years later and we can't we can't say oh well the person who's more physically able well let's elevate them and bring them to the you know to the forefront of, of what it means to be a teacher because what it means to be a teacher is to have gone through your struggles and your, you know, experience the deep lessons. And, uh, you know, I always felt like it's the learning that counts. So the, the student who's struggling the most, 10 years later, if they continue to struggle, they've gained so much knowledge, so much wisdom, you know? Yeah. So then oh, yeah. actually they maybe don't, maybe cannot take the video of it because it's, you know, it's not looking, you know, like anything to share, but they're the ones that sit with the knowledge and and this is this is hard hard to communicate you know in, a, in an image and a sound bite or something like that yeah I mean when I first started like I moved to Miami in 2000 uh 2014 or 2015 and I was I moved there because I was so broke in LA I was literally poor I couldn't afford food I couldn't afford gas I was like why am I here and like my friend actually did like a tarot reading for me and she was like if you want to be a yoga teacher why don't you just like move back to Florida like isn't that like where all your friends are and I was like I had like this like aha moment and at the time like the yoga industry was obviously there in Miami but it wasn't anything crazy so I I think I moved at the correct time like for me and but with that said I still felt like this huge imposter syndrome because I couldn't do handstands or I, you know, like I I couldn't do inversions at the time. I had just graduated from teacher training maybe like a year before. And I was like, I just want to start teaching already. Like, this is crazy because I felt like a teacher already. But, and I remember being on like a couple photo shoots for like yoga brands in Miami and that, that actually happened where they expected me to hop up in some kind of inversion or do a I remember one company wanted me to do a forearm stand in the middle of the street um and there wasn't any cars coming or anything but I was just like I literally can't do a forearm stand 
Like I, like I, I tried and I literally fell out of it and I was like, yeah, I'm just not having a good day today. And, you know, it was just like one of those moments where I'm like, wow, this doesn't feel good, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. To be put on the spot like that, it's sort of like, wait a minute, I'm not a performer, you know, and I'm working on this posture. It's in my practice, but I don't really want to, you know, feel like I need to bust it out in the middle of the day on the street. It's like, that's, that's kind of not what this is about. And then it's like, you know, this, this interesting thing of so many people ask me this question who have just completed, say, a teacher training program or an apprenticeship program or something like that. How did you know you were ready to teach? Mm-hmm. And this is like I get that really question, question all the time. Yeah. How do, you, how do you know you're ready to teach? How do you know you're ready to teach? And, uh, you know, what I usually say is like, I actually don't know I'm ready to teach, but that the students are there, then this makes it necessary for me to teach. And that's how I started teaching. Like, I didn't want to teach yoga, actually. It was never really like a business plan or career idea for me. But when I came back from India, I just started talking to people about, you know, what my experience was. And even if I wasn't starting to talk to people, it was just like, I remember that I I was in graduate school at New York University and NYU. And I remember going to meet my thesis advisor. And my thesis advisor, like, said to me, um, hey, you seem different. What did you do over the summer? And I, I remember really trying to just brush him off, saying, "Oh, just nothing. I just did, you know, just like normal things." And you, you seem just so went different. to India. <laughs> yeah, he didn't say it at first. You seem so different. Like, what did you do? And I said, I finally, I was like, "Well, you know, I went to India. I spent two months in India studying with this yoga master." Immediately, the conversation, my thesis, no more conversation of my thesis. Immediately, oh, you went to yoga master. Tell me about this yoga master. Oh, please, I'm not a yoga teacher. I don't want to talk about this. Please let me talk about the thesis. I prepared this whole speech about my thesis. Then I spent 30 minutes talking about yoga, at which point the conversation ended with, oh, my next appointment is coming in. Would you come on Thursday night to teach my wife and I yoga? <laughs> and, I, and I just remember saying, no, 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 this is New York City. There's so many yoga teachers everywhere. I'm not a yoga teacher. Please said, no, we, I really want to know more about your experience and we can talk about your thesis after. So come over on Thursday night. He wrote his address down and I'm thinking, oh my God, I have to go there because if I don't go there, then we're not going to talk about my thesis and I have to go there. And he and his wife, they sat there they just bought these new yoga mats and I thought, oh my goodness. Oh my God. All right. Summer they're like, they're like <laughs> ready for it. Yeah, so I mean, that's how I, that's how I started teaching. And that imposter syndrome, I really was like, I can't, not even in, not even in syndrome. I literally said, I'm not a yoga teacher. And I was writing down the names of other yoga teachers and handing them, like I handed that to my professor. And he said, no, come back next week. We want to learn what, what you're doing here. And I just, you know, again and again, like, I'm not a teacher. Please don't try to make me teach you. And so I, and not only did I have the imposter syndrome, I was like acting on it. You know, I just was really... Yeah. It was like, I'm literally not a teacher because I was thinking my teacher in India, who's been practicing for his entire lifetime and teaching for long, wait, like three times my age, he's a yoga teacher. I'm definitely not, you know? So right. what I, but what I've learned is, you know, if the, if the students are there, then you have to teach them. They're open yeah. to receive. They, yeah. they're, they need something from... So like, okay, I'd love to take it back a little bit since you said, you know, you were in New York and you were in school and... Um, I think we, I mentioned this to you the other day, like, um, suffering is usually like one of the main things that drives someone to get, to do yoga or like meditation is sometimes like the last resort for like addicts, you know, who have been in, in and out of recovery or, but what, what triggered you to want to go to India? Um, I'd love to hear about like your upbringing, like what kind of upbringing, you know, let's start there actually, like. What was your upbringing like? What was your childhood like? 
um, was yoga around you a lot? Uh, no, not at all. I mean, my upbringing was just, you know, the regular Miami girl. I think the only thing that was that probably was very defining of my upbringing is I'm 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 Japanese and Scottish. So I have a very strong connection to my Japanese ancestry and also my Scottish ancestry. And, um, you know, my, my parents are, uh, they took a strong decision to raise me without any religion. So they really felt like we don't raise you with any religion. What can we do? You know, um, my uh, Japanese side is Buddhist and my uh, Scottish side is, uh, you know, Protestant. And they both of them felt very, very disconnected from organized religion. So then they took a decision to raise me with no religion. So in some ways I felt very much like an outsider in so many communities because there's so many faith-based communities that particular people in South Florida uh, really kind of coalesce around. So there's, you know, the, the, the Cuban Catholic community is very, very strong with the Catholic schools and people who have followed that sort of, you know, Catholic church path with the communion and Mm-hmm. Um, was it called confirmation or something yeah. like that? And then there's a very strong Jewish community in South Florida. Where yeah, there is. You know, bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs and all of this sort of stuff. And there's even there's other there's the Protestant communities. But for me, I, I was on the outside of everything, and I'm I was for very very many years until I was in, I think I, I think I want to say until I was like 15 years old, I was the only Asian person in any of my classes. So I have very much this feeling of, of being, um, you know, uh, like an outsider of just not really fitting in any groups because there would be these situations where, you know, um, the, all of the people were friendly with me, but I've never got invited to these religious associated mm-hmm. like special events in, in people's lives. And it was just like, well, this sure we'll talk to you in class. We'll even study with you. People often wanted to study with me because I was very, academic. I graduated, uh, you know, at the top of my high school class and wanted to pursue a particular type of academic career that I decided not to, um, you know, and yoga kind of took over my life. And mm-hmm. so it felt like, you know, that there was this very, it, it, not so much conflicted relationship, but there was this, you know, okay, we'll study with you and it's convenient. And at the same time, you're definitely not a part of our community. And I didn't really have any uh, community, you could say. So it was really just, you know, my, my, my family and I, my, my grandfather, uh, who's Japanese, when he passed away when I was almost nine, it was a hugely defining moment in my life. I feel like my, my whole childhood changed from one, one moment to the next. Yeah. You know, my parents, I love them. They're amazing. And, you know, nothing against them. But he was just, he was just such a big part of my life and, you know, such a big part of my identity. And then, and, and that was like of, your first loss. Absolutely. You know, yeah. and I can look back now and I can see that, not only did I not have the words for it, but neither did my parents. And, you know, my mom, you know, uh, was not someone to talk about her grief. You know, she just shouldered it. And, mm-hmm. and, and you know, in the way that, and in a very, you know, noble and heroic way for herself, she just, you know, took care of everything. And that's just, you know, that's very, that she just got everything done to make sure to take care of everything. But at the, like, I was, I was so young so that I can look back now and I can see that, like, that his loss, like, the, his loss, me into a period of depression and you know I and was that's really and, young to be yeah, in a de- depression depressed and grieving and searching and questioning and 
you know, and also because there was no, I want to say like religious community to turn to, there was no religious teaching, there was no teaching on faith. Like I didn't know if God existed, what God was. I didn't know, I didn't have any techniques to, you know, concentrate or train the mind. I didn't have any faith. So, you know, I, I, I can look back now and I can see that that started, you know, periods of cyclical depression where mm-hmm. this depression lasts for a period of time and then I come out of it and then it comes back again and then, you know, it lasts for a period of time and then it comes back again and, you know, and uh, it was, uh, and then, and then if we fast forward to the time I'm, you know, I'm 19, I walk into a yoga class and it's my first yoga class. And I, it's not a big, like life-changing decision at that moment, but mm-hmm. I had definitely gone through already some periods of searching and turning away from, uh, you know, paths that, that I could see weren't going to lead me towards, you know, towards happiness. For example, part of the whole like academic the path that I was on involved, like, I really thought that I was going to, you know, um, I was doing debate in high school and I thought I'm going to apply to a debate school and get a scholarship and then do pre-law and go and and go to law school. And so I did that and I applied to all these debate schools and I got scholarships, but in my senior year of high school, I wasn't preparing for any more debates. And then after the debate season ended, I I remember very, very clearly about three weeks after, three or four weeks after the debate season ended, one Saturday morning I woke up and I felt happy. And it was like a happiness that I didn't remember mm. since maybe before my grandfather had passed away. But then I was like, I feel so happy. And I remember the, the quality of the light filtering in through the window and the sort of like this, this golden light of, of, you know, the morning, uh, the light filtering in and this sense of quiet and peace. And then I just thought to myself, Tina, why do you feel so happy right now? What's this happiness about? Where's this coming from? And then I realized that I had spent my entire career in high school. Every weekend, I'm debating, and I realized that debate is it's like very arguing. stressful. And it's yeah. scheduled arguing. It's like, and I, yeah, and so literally like, what it is. Yeah, so I prepare for the week, and then I argue all weekend. And if I do really well, I eviscerate the other person, and then they leave crying. And then <laughs> if that happens, they give me an award, you know. And I felt like, oh, this That's- is horrible. And I, I just saw—I just saw the life path. Oh, the next four years, I get the scholarship to this school, which I was just about to send the letter saying I'm going to go, and then they're going to put me on the debate team, and ev- I'm going to—I'm de- going to debate for four years. Then I get into law school. I'm going to learn how to argue even better. Then I'll have a career where nine to five, five days a week for the rest of my life, I argue. No, no, Arguing. no I don't do this. I don't do this. I quit. <laughs> my God, I stop this right now. You know, I don't tell my parents. I just quietly don't send the letters of acceptance. And then, you know, then I was lost for a little bit because I thought this was a life path. Now what am I going to do? You know, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What to do? And then I, again, fall into a period of depression. And, you know, I don't know what I'm doing because at least I had this path, even though it's this, you know, wasn't the, wasn't giving me happiness. It was giving me something. It was, like it was just like unknown. Right. Like it was, something it to was, focus on. it was not unknown. My yeah. cat is always making an appearance for every podcast um so like what brought you to that I guess that's what happened like when you were 19 you went to that yoga class is that because you were like I don't know what the fuck I'm doing with my life right now like I don't want to debate anymore so like yeah well I mean I was definitely in I don't know what I want to do with my life that was definitely in 
But the yoga class, I, I honestly, I was in the middle of doing uh, my second big form of escapism, which was a lot of partying, which, you know, in Miami, you can party exquisitely. Yeah. So I started yeah. to almost turn that into like a side job in, in addition to college. You know, I, I, went, I went away to college and then I came back to Miami and finished my uh, college degree at the University of Miami. And because it was just, I, you know, I, I was, I was just so lost in searching. So I, and then I was, I found myself in this very expensive, um, Northeast, uh, you know, private, you know, private college and, or university actually. And I just felt like this is costing my parents so much money and I don't love it. And I know they're taking out some kind of debt to put me here. So mm -hmm. I applied for a transfer. I got a scholarship to university of Miami and I'm like, let me just come home. I live with my parents and then I don't know what I'm doing with my life anyway. So why are my parents going to spend like a $70,000 a year to put me in some university that I don't even know what I'm going to do with. So let me just go home. Right. And it was during that period where I, I took the, like took like the, you know, part, the sort of semi-professional partying <laughs> as a distraction. And then, yeah. and then just one day I was in a gym and I saw everybody standing on their head in a yoga class. And I thought that looked cool. So I, I went to, I went to that yoga class and it left a really indelible impression upon me as you know, something really, really deep. And I, I felt something in that first class. I bought a bunch of books about yoga because I was really into studying. I was obviously a very studious person. Right. And I started studying, you know, yoga out of books. And it was the Hatha yoga from the Shivananda tradition. And so I started doing that. And, and then when I was 22 years old, I think I reached the end of the escapism of, you know, kind of drugs and partying. I just, mm -hmm. I, and I, I remember very distinctly um, standing in an elevator going to like a Monday morning after party um, in Miami and very Miami. Yeah. Like leftover from Thursday kind of after party, you know, like, like no sleep till you die kind of. After party. Yeah. And then, and then just having this feeling of, you know, like none of these, like I'm not, not only am I not happy, but I've taken so many chemical substances that they literally no longer work on me. Mm -hmm. You know, I've been there. there. Oh, yeah, my like God. I, you know, I'm just sitting there like being in this elevator. And then this guy in the elevator, he looks over at me and he says, man, I'm so happy the 1980s are over. And I'm like, what do you mean? I remember thinking like 1980s, like I was a, like a baby in the 80s. Like, I don't have any problem with the 1980s. So I just looked at him like, what, what kind of problem do you have with the 80s? And then he looked at me and he said, man, the 80s, I just couldn't, like the partying in the 80s, it nearly killed me, all those eight balls and all that cocaine and heroin. And man, I'm glad I survived it. We're on, we're now on the ecstasy generation and this is a way better drug for me. Wow. <laughs> and, I, and I'm like, thank him. So wherever this dude is in the world, like, thank you, dude. Because he said that to me and then I had this, again, this flash. What is my future? What is my future? Here's my future. This is my Hanging future. Hanging out with this guy. Not only this guy, in, <laughs> in 20 years, I'm the lady who's dating this guy. You know, right. like, no, 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 no. I thought, oh, no, 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 no. No, I need to slowly back away from this path. I still went to the party. Like, I, I'm on, I still went, you know. <laughs> you're like, I'm, all right, let's just, let's just keep it, keep it real for, for a minute. You're like, yeah. you're hearing this, like, angel and devil, and you're like, just, just, you know. Yeah, uh, look, I'll change my path, but like I'm going to this party. I'm already in the elevator. Like let's just let's 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 one more party. Just just one more party. Even a few more months of partying. But then, um, you know, then that thought in my mind was, you got to get your life back on track. And so I applied to grad. I I, I applied to graduate school, and that's when I said I'm going to start doing yoga. And that's when I I I walked by a sign that said Tuesday Thursday Ashtanga Yoga, 
So then that, that's the class I went to. And it, it, I actually said Tuesday, Thursday, primary series. It didn't okay. say Ashtanga Yoga. I thought I was going to a beginner class, to be honest with you. <laughs> that's I, like not beginner. Totally not beginner. And they had other things like Hatha Yoga and like Yin and other other things on there. But it, but Tuesday, Thursday seemed like really all I wanted. I, I thought that maybe I could still do yoga Tuesday and Thursday mm-hmm. and that maybe I could continue to party on Friday and Saturday and yeah. like I thought that maybe I could come up with a blend, but yeah. you know, the more yoga I did, then then that pretty much closed the door on that. And definitely after I came back from India, then everything changed. Yeah, I didn't know that about your story. About I mean, it it doesn't um, surprise me that like the partying was like kind of that pivotal moment of like you know what is life right now. Because when I moved to Miami, I mean, I had I went to art school in Fort Lauderdale before that, but then I moved to LA, was broke, and then I was like, all right, I'll try Miami out. Like, it's different than Fort Lauderdale. And it got to the point where I was teaching yoga and bartending and waitressing and doing cocaine and going out. And, you know, and I was just like, okay. And then on Sunday mornings, I had to like go teach yoga. And, I remember like being so severely hungover, like almost every Sunday and nobody really knew like, like I would really put on this like show that like I was this, you know, this, I would, and I, I am an amazing teacher, but I would really put on this show that I was, you know, totally fine. And, you know, talking about like, you know, getting through hard times, which I mean, I had been through a lot of hard times. I was like 25, 26, and I had gone through a lot like in my teens and my 20s and stuff. So like I did have that life experience, but I was still so attached to that drug and partying lifestyle. And it took me a while to get out of it, to be honest. But, you know, when I started to really get more into sobriety and everything, I started to realize how like the reason why I even got into yoga and like, just like you, I got into it um, just from like random gym, just, you know, I think it was like YMCA um, like back in the day. And like, um, but then I started to realize like, oh, wow, yoga is really connecting me to my body and all the trauma that I've like kept inside. Um, so I'm wondering if that, if, if yoga has like, what, like, what did you feel at first when you started doing it? What was the feeling that you got that you were like, oh, I really like this? Was it emotional for you? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. I still remember that feeling at the end of my first Ashtanga yoga class. You know, I remember getting through the primary series, which was like some miracle in and of itself. The class was two hours long. I thought it was going to be an hour long, like most gym <laughs> classes. And that extra hour, I was just like, when is this going to end? Man, this guy is bonkers who's teaching. And, uh, you know, then it ended and I was really sweaty and I remember, you know, we're lying there in the final relaxation and I just had this, um, this kind of deep feeling of peace. And it was as though, you know, my mind uh, was quiet for maybe one of the first times in my, you know, conscious awareness. And there was this feeling of being kind of at home in my own skin Today's episode is brought to you and sponsored by me and my meditation course called Modern Meditations. I created this course as a mission to bring healing and mental health awareness through meditation, yoga, and creative journaling and writing 
to everyone who is going through a hard time and honestly I made this course to help myself heal in the process so I was recording lots of audio meditations and meditating myself I was journaling and creating all these writing prompts and questions that were helping me kind of move through the really pivotal time of my Saturn return which was super intense um, you know our our lives are full of rock bottoms and I feel like with every season of life there's gonna be a couple rock bottoms maybe it's not as intense as previous rock bottoms but there's always gonna be some stuff that's challenging us in in our lives so my hopes with this course is to give you the tools and the the rituals and the support that you need to get through these challenging times that you're in whether it's physically emotionally spiritually whether you're going through a breakup or you're going through relationship issues or family issues or you're trying to heal your inner child this course has a little bit of everything and it's super easy to navigate. You can do it on your own time. It's an easy download and it has over eight hours of audio guided meditations with binaural beats. It has a, an audio yin yoga class, uh, which is my favorite type of yoga to teach. If you've never taken my class before, it's all hips and breathing and really getting deep into the body with long holds and stretches. And then there's over eight pages of writing prompts, journaling, creative writing, and questions that will activate your healing, your manifestations, your shadow work, and ignite your inner child and truly just help you kind of up level into this new version of yourself so if you're interested in getting this course it's usually $55 but for the vibe within listeners you're going to get 10% off so you can use code vibe at checkout and it's on Etsy so you can just check out my Etsy it's going to be linked in the show notes and I also have tons of yoga classes, meditations a la carte, uh, video yoga classes that are all in there for all $15 or less. So they're very affordable. So if you're looking for uh, kind of an up-leveling of your yoga practice and you want to practice in your home or maybe you're traveling, you can also just get these classes and they are yours to keep forever so if you're interested in that everything's available on my etsy shop it's linked in the show notes and you can use code vibe for the modern meditations journaling course for 10 percent off all right let's get back into the episode so then i just felt like i gotta keep coming back to practice like i just immediately went out and bought a 10 class card and kept coming back to practice and then you know, just the more practice I did, it was like, I just uh, wanted to do more and wanted to do more. And it was that feeling after practice that I was really looking for. And I didn't really understand how, how it worked or what it meant. They didn't know what Ashtanga meant. They didn't know anything about the lineage of the practice until I moved to New York and I joined a more traditional practice. And then I, and then I still didn't know anything about the lineage of the practice until, you know, one day after practice, 
um, that the, the teacher who was teaching pointed at a picture of a man up on the wall and said, this man's my teacher, and I want to wish these two students a good trip to India. They're going to practice with him. And something in my heart just leapt up and said, I want to go too. Like, where do I sign up? Is this like a group field trip? Like, what do you, like, how do we, are we all going? Like, where, you know, what do we do? So I just ran up to him after and was like, so the trip to India, can I join? Like, can I come? And he was like, do you even know, like, how long have you been practicing? And I was like, well, I've been here for a few months, you know? And I think- (laughs) You were 19, right? I was 22. So now okay. I'm 22. I'm doing okay. the traditional Ashtanga practice and I'm in New York City. I'm in graduate school and, you know, I'm starting like less partying, more mm-hmm. yoga and more graduate school, you know. And um, and then and then he just said to me, you know, you should probably like read this guy's book before you decide to randomly go to India and show up on his doorstep. Like, oh, this guy has a book. Nobody tells me anything. They just show up and they say this thing in Sanskrit and then I'm doing some asanas for some period of time and then I leave and I feel great. That's all I know. Yeah, it's so it's so like that at first. You're just like, I don't know what the fuck is happening, but I feel good and I just want to like do more of this. Yeah. So I read the book. So I'm like, okay, I'll read the book. And then he said to me, you read the book. If if when you read the book, you finish the book, you still want to go. There's an address on the back of the book. And if you feel that you still want to go, you write a letter to the address on the back of the book. And if you don't hear back, you can go. What? Yeah. If you don't hear back, you can go. Uh huh. <laughs> That's literally wild. That's <laughs> like, crazy. Like, if you think what? about it now, like what we do in traveling. So I read the book. I wrote the letter to the address on the back of the book. I was like, it's like no website. You don't have any website information. You have this you have this address that's like an Indian address. So coming from the United States of America, it looks very bizarre. You know, mm-hmm. it's not it's not anything against Indian addresses. It's just different. You know, it's like, you know, you don't know what a, what a dosa is. It's also like a typical a dish of the South India. Then also, you don't know, what's this? Looks strange. You know, so it's like, oh, this address looks strange. And now, now I love the Indian address. And I also love dosas. So then, <laughs> um, so then, uh, so then I send this letter. And I remember thinking, I don't have faith in this address so let me send a fedex so i sent a fedex just because i'm like let me make sure this thing gets there and also i wanted to make sure i had so i just bought the ticket two weeks later because i felt like like i sent the fedex i didn't hear anything back and you know forget it i just bought the ticket i bought i got a i got a 10-year visa and wow it was a good deal i went up to the indian embassy in new york city i gave my passport the same day i got the visa back and you know i bought the ticket i i traveled i, I got on the airplane i went there I, you know, showed the address to the taxi driver and then we drove for four and a half hours from the Bangalore airport and I got dropped off on the doorstep of the, the old Ashtanga Yoga Nilayam in Lakshmipuram in Mysore. And I stood there and, you know, gosh. started the practice. And I stood there with a giant backpack because I felt I needed to bring a backpack. I don't know why. I, this is a decision I never made again. Um, you know, I'm not backpacking. I'm going to one place and I'm going to stay in one place. I don't need a backpack. I need a proper suitcase. Yeah, I can agree with that. Like I did the whole backpack thing when I went to Thailand and Bali and it's rough. It's yeah. it's rough. So and did your family, did your family think another. that you were crazy for doing that, for just like going all of a sudden? Like you're 22. Did you took You took a break from grad school to go and then you know, like, you know, I went in the summer. So it was the summer. Okay. Break. I went okay. two months over the summer. And, uh, you know, my, my family more thought I was crazy for moving to New York city, <laughs> moving to New York city. What are you going to do? It's so expensive. 
there's so many people there. What are you going to do? Like, I'm going for school. Oh, God, can't you find another school? Like, there's so many good schools. Why do you have to go? Like, they were more like, my mom loved New York. My dad was like, something's going to happen to you in New York City. And so I braced myself when I, when I was telling them I'm going to go to India. You know, I was I braced myself. I just did one of these, like, okay, I'm an only child. And, you know, my definitely my father didn't really like when I was, you know, outside of the radius of, like, a 300-mile radius of Miami. Like, I think he would <laughs> preferred that I stayed within that radius for my entire life, right? But, uh, you know, no, no. I mean, I definitely support the travel and all of that. But but definitely New York was like, this is a dangerous place. Something's going to happen to you here. So So then I remember calling my parents and saying, so, you know, this yoga that I've been doing and I've been doing this yoga and then, you know, I'm here and it's actually, I think I was talking to my dad first and I said, you know, I've been doing this, this yoga and, um, you know, you can, I found out that it, you know, it comes from India, you see, and then the, there's this, the master of this uh, tradition, he's alive and he's in India and you can go and meet him. So, um, during the summer break between my, you know, my master's degree program, I, uh, I think I'm going to go to India and I'm, you know, saving money and I'm going to get the ticket and I'm going to go. It's not, I just need really the money for the ticket because it's not that expensive to be in India. But I think with just like, you know, at that time with just three, 3,000, maybe $3,500, you could go for two months. Yeah. Total ticket and everything. Included. Yeah. Wow. And even the ticket was more expensive than anything else back then. Like tickets are way cheaper now. Yeah. You had, to, you had to like go, you couldn't, you couldn't go to like Travelocity and like book your ticket. You had to go mm-hmm. to like a travel agent. Which like an like, actual, like you walk in and you're like, this is where I'd like to go. Totally like, bizarre. What yes, the hell? Exactly. And then they like book it for you. So it was super, it was like super expensive for like really like economy, like low budget tickets and like very expensive, you know? And, um, like much more, much more than, much more than today. And, uh, you know, but I just remember saying to my dad, you know, we can go there. I was bracing for the, like, okay, he's going to give it to me. He's going to tell me how India is really dangerous and like an airplane's going to fall out of the sky and who knows what else, you know, <laughs> actually before it was even before nine, it was uh, before nine 11. So we didn't even think that airplanes can fall out of the sky, but I thought anyhow, he's going to think that the airplane's going to fall out of the sky just because I'm leaving the 300 mile radius of, right. of Miami. But then he just said to me, you know, well, sweetheart, this yoga really seems to be so good for you. So we just want to support everything that everything that that you need in order to make this trip possible, because Mm -hmm. this uh, this yoga has just been so good for you. Just seems so much happier since you've been starting to practice. So you just let us know how we can help you. Wow. And I put the phone down and I checked the caller ID. I was like, is this actually my father? Did I call like? (laughs) 1-800-THERAPY. You know what I mean? (laughs) Well, that is, I mean, that speaks in itself. Like the, just like the energy change that your parents saw. Because like, you know, years of partying and doing drugs and it, it completely disconnects you from your body and from your emotions and from everything. And I feel like you you come home to yourself and you kind of step back into yourself when, when you can do something like yoga or meditation and like um the same thing kind of happened with me and like my I went to fashion school and then I went to LA to work in the fashion industry and like it was just a mess it was a nightmare I hated it I was miserable the jobs made me feel like a shit a shitty person um and then when I finally you know, decided to do my teacher training, both my parents were like, yeah, totally just do it. I mean, if you don't, if you don't like the fashion thing anymore, then just don't do it. And I'm, and I was like, just like you, I, I thought that I was going to get like this reaction of what do you mean? You, you just went to four years dirt for school. You know, you've got student loan debt. I, I can't believe you, you don't want to do this anymore, but they just, 
I think they just got it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that comes from you know love, right? So then they see, yeah. oh, you're not happy. This makes you happy. We'll do that. Yeah. So that experience was your first experience going to India, mm-hmm. and now you've been to India several times. And I was, you know, doing a little bit of research on you and. Um, at 29, you became the youngest person to receive the certification to teach Ashtanga Yoga by the founder of Ashtanga Yoga. And um, then you came back and is that, that's, is that when your career kind of, I would say, like up leveled or like what was that coming back to the States experience for you? And how did you integrate that, like coming back from such an intense kind of experience I'm sure every experience was intense going to India but I'd love to hear like just integrating back into society and what came up for you emotionally and you know because yoga makes us connect to our trauma and things that you know we need to heal and stuff like that oh absolutely you know um well first of all I never thought that I was going to be certified. Like, it just really wasn't, like, I wasn't on, there's some people, they go to India and they try to meet some yoga master and then they put themselves on a mission. I'm going to stay here until they certify me to teach. And I really wasn't like that, you know? Like, I, I went there and I just wanted to practice. And on my second trip to India, I just wanted to practice. I just remember feeling like, I just want to practice. It's just about the practice for me. And um, and then and then on the on the third trip, uh, to India, I remember um, like feeling really like, oh, well, people are asking me to teach and I don't really know like what I should do. Like, I think I got to talk to my teachers about this because people are asking me to teach and I started to, you know, when I was in, in India itself, then I remember uh, being there and then, um, you know, a woman who had a yoga studio in Ireland said, you know, you figured out how to do this movement that I've been trying to do. Would you, can I come over and you talk to me? I said, oh, no, no, don't ask me. Like, I'm just go ask the teachers. I'm not the teacher. <laughs> oh, but like, uh, like, you have a female body and I have a female body. Just, I am not asking you to teach me. I just want to know how you think about it. And then she said, I'll buy you a chai. Oh, you buy me a chai? Okay, I like chai. <laughs> so then, then uh, you know, she came over with Thai and then we're sitting there and she said, oh, you know, how do you do this? How do you do that? Oh, try this, try that. She said, oh, this is amazing. I already feel that, you know, I can do this movement a little better. Oh, you don't have a yoga studio in Ireland. Would you come teach my students in Ireland? And I thought, oh, no, no, please. I'm not the yoga teacher. I don't want to go. I, I, actually, I would love to go to Ireland, but I don't, I like, uh, no, 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 no. I'm not the yoga teacher. You ask, uh, ask our teachers if they go to Ireland. So, no, they're not going to Ireland. They're Indian. They're staying here. You know, and then, and then um, so then I, I finally, at some moments, I'm not going to talk to them about teaching because it happened like this, one thing after another, one thing after another. And someone's saying, back in Miami, we've got this class set up for you. You're going to teach this and do that. And, you know, would you come over here and teach this? And at around wow. that time, I, you know, so I just felt like, let me go and, and talk to these people because it's starting to be intense. You know? Right. Um, it's like all these signs are like, it's demand. Yeah. And so then I went and talked to them and I said, you know, like, what do you think about the you know, me teaching and, um, you know, and then, and then immediately, uh, you know, they said, uh, you take authorization, then, then, you know, next trip after you finish the advanced series, you take certification. And I was like, oh my God, uh, like, I didn't, like, I didn't want to like, I, okay. You know, it's just like, ah, I remember feeling like, ah, at that moment, because it wasn't like I was asking for that, but it was there, you know, it was kind of their idea. 
It just kind of happened. It just kind of happened. And then, and then it was like, okay, so I got this authorization paper first and I left with that authorization paper. And then, um, you know, uh, so then I still remember the day that I finished practice and I remember my teacher saying to me, you know, your, your letter ready, you know, and it was really, really sweet. And then it's like this, it's like this official like paper from the government of India. That's like, that, that only he could authorize based on status that he had as, you know, a particular registered within the, you know, Mysore College of India and this sort of thing. And so then, like, so we've got this paper and there's all these stamps that go on it. So all these stamps are going on this, you know, paper of the certification. And what was really interesting was because um, normally they put something like certified to teach up until this level, but he didn't put anything. Because like I think he was like, no, you're gonna continue to learn. So he left it blank. And a lot of the other people I talked to, that they like all their papers say certified to teach the, this series or authorized to teach this series. But you wow. know, I have, I have it blank, and I have really actually learned more of the series since that paper. So I think uh, he knew what he was doing, I guess. Or maybe I'm certified yeah. to teach nothing. Who knows? <laughs> maybe he just knew that you were gonna be like the you know Kino McGregor that you are. <laughs> And, you know, just because I feel like teachers really can see something in in their students. Like, I remember when I was like going through my rock bottom in L.A., I would go to yoga every day. And that's the only time that gave me joy. And that's like like what you were saying, like, I really feel good. This this moment where you just feel like your your mind is just so not in the trenches with, you know, depression or body image or addiction or whatever anybody is dealing with and I was just like you know I'd go to my shitty fashion job go to yoga and that was the cycle and I was like well why can't I just make this you know like I I already go to so many classes like I'm sure I could be a teacher it can't be that hard um it is it is hard I just (laughs) want to say to everybody it is hard um but I think that that mentality is what that naive mentality is what kind of helped me get through it and a lot of the teachers were like hey I think that you should consider you know doing our teacher training Mm -hmm. we'll we'll give you a discount we because at at the time I was working at the studio for free yoga because I was so broke so I was like mopping and cleaning and cleaning mats and like doing that whole thing Um, and this is for core power yoga so Uh um, in in Hollywood and I so I helped open that studio and I got to know the, the teachers like really well and I was like you know, kind of like the head on like the cleaning team, which is like kind of funny, but they're like, yeah, you should really do this teacher training. We'll give you a discount. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to do it, you know? So it really does come down to like listening to those pings, you know, like listening to those, those little whispers from spirit, because now, I mean, you know, thing you've traveled the world, you've, you've, you know, made a, a whole, new life for yourself and you know I'd love to like we we talk about rock bottoms a little bit on this podcast and like you know just those moments but I'd love to hear like because I feel like in life we go through a lot of rock bottoms even when we're like doing really well in life like financially or like everything is fine Mm -hmm. was there a rock bottom that you went through and I know you've shared some of your 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 struggles um with like yoga and like sexual premise promiscuity and sexual like idol idolization and stuff like that or is there a rock bottom that you've been through in your yoga career that kind of shook things up for you gosh I mean I think uh I think there's a good deal I mean there are there there are kind of two things that that 
um, come to mind. I mean, you know, there was a pivotal moment when I first started kind of like throwing myself with that with that naivete that you mentioned before into the yoga world. So this is when like now I've graduated from my master's program. I've completed all my coursework, graduated my master's program, wrote my thesis, done, got my degree, moved back to Miami, and I just threw myself into the yoga world. So like I'm here, I'm practicing, I'm there, I'm, you know, going to different studios and I'm, you know, uh, thinking about uh, like connecting with, with, you know, with different studios and asking, you know, can I be a part of this studio or be a part of that studio? And then there was one, there was, someone told me, oh, contact this person. He's teaching Ashtanga yoga. And so I contacted this person and I came with like my little like, you know, resume of, you know, why you should accept me in part of the studio, whether you want me to be an apprentice or do cleaning or something like that so that I can practice here and maybe, you know, like learn how to teach one day or something like that. And, and then, um, you know, this, this, uh, this particular incident ended in sexual assault. And it was, I, I, and it was one of these mind-boggling instances where this particular teacher, while he was engaging in the assault up until the moment of the assault, he he used all of the yoga lingo and like the lingo of kind of like a fake guru of like you're such a difficult student, you know, don't you want to receive this lesson? And mm-hmm. I'm here to teach you. And if you just open your eyes, then you'll really receive this teaching. And I've been to India to study with your teacher. And don't you think that, you know, he knows that I'm a good guru and I'm actually the guru that's being presented to you right now. And it's your fault that you're not accepting this teaching. And it just, he just kept on like pounding me with this. And then I tried to leave. Like I, I know, I feel like I don't, I, I, I have tried to leave and at this point it turns into you know physical restraint and it ends in an assault and like you know um it, it was horrible and i i and uh, being so young at the time and having not a lot of knowledge of the yoga world i remember sitting in the bathroom at home alone thinking did i just not receive the teaching like mm-hmm. was he right and also feeling yeah so dirty and so gross and feeling like I cannot wash this off of my body. And I just feel like I need to wash this off of my body. This is disgusting. I know I feel violated. And at the same time, not really being able to honor that I feel violated because in my mind, I'm sitting there questioning, you know, well, he used all of these yoga terminology and the sense of surrender and release and all of these sacred terms that we Hmm. use in the world of yoga. And then I'm thinking, am I really just this horrible you know, blocked student that just doesn't get it. And did I just miss the teaching that was presented to me? And now will I, you know, will I just never have that? Like, what, did I miss it? And he was the guru and and I sat with it. It took me years to work out like, oh, actually that was rape. Yeah. And it, I think that's a huge thing to highlight to people who are listening, like who have been through sexual assault or rape or, any kind of sexual trauma, it can take years, it can take a decade, it can take longer than that to process it and to really come to terms with it. I know it did for me. Um, So how did you, you know, get through that? What I mean, yoga, I'm sure helped you get through that. But then it's crazy because yoga is the thing that kind of triggered it. Right. So it was like, okay, well, I could have like just left the whole thing. But I mean, I kept searching because I did have that question, like, did I just miss the teaching? You know, so I went back to India, I practiced with my teacher. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I started, I also found the, the, you know, path of meditation. I've been meditating for almost as long as I've been doing yoga. So I just felt as I got more and more clear, more and more clear, I had told myself a story around 
like, okay, well, maybe there was a teaching in that, you know? And so I had kind of normalized it for a while. Like, maybe there was a teaching in that. And it wasn't until I started talking to, like, I think, like, two very close friends of mine that they said to me, this doesn't sound like a teaching. This sounds like, you know, something else. So mm-hmm. then I actually I finally spoke with a therapist about it, like, years later and worked through it. And it was with the help of a therapist that I really came to terms with everything that happened and how it was not only, you know, physical assault, but also psychological abuse. So it was this psychological yeah. manipulation. And, you know, to make matters worse, this particular teacher was hanging around in the Miami yoga community and still doing this. So I, I would occasionally meet someone that said, oh, this person's my teacher. And then I would run into them a little bit later and then they would be just like shattered. And they said, I quit yoga. What happened? Then they would tell me the story and be like the same kind of story that would happen. And some people let it progress much, much worse. They fell for it, that he was the guru. And they didn't They didn't just like end it at the assault. They started, you know, giving him money and started, you mm. know, treating him and like touching his feet and things like that. And really like elevating him on this. this oh, insane. Lord. Pedestal. So, you know, this guy, he, he tried to keep coming back to my, to our yoga studio. Mm-hmm. And there was actually a time that he came back into our yoga studio and um, hid himself in the men's changing room while I was teaching. And he's hiding in the men's changing room. So like, it's a men's changing room. Like I'm not often like normal students don't hide in the men's changing room so I'm locking up the studio after I'm teaching and it was like a special holiday class and then the studio is totally empty out comes this dude from the men's changing room and I'm like oh no what are you what what are you doing here and then you know I'm married at this point and he comes up to me and he said so you're married now but are you still blocked or are you open and it's almost spiritual mumbo jumbo and he pins me against the wall and he gets this close to my face and he starts doing the same crap as before and the phone rang and you know I just did a quick like I did a quick my husband is waiting outside and I'm sure that's him on the phone. So we don't want him to come running in here right away. So let me just grab it and let him know that you're just leaving. Right. And I just like, like, like with this fake story, cause I don't know it's him. It wasn't him. I pick up the phone. It's AT&T robocall, but I just <laughs> play Tim. Yes. Sweetheart. I'm right inside. And this guy, I don't even want to say his name, but this dude is here mm-hmm. and he's just leaving. Aren't you? And I walk over the door and I unlock the door and he starts like giving me this whole, like, Oh, you, you're blocked in your chakras, man. Like you got to open up those chakras and like all this kind of it's like lame spiritual stuff and i'm just like right tim so he's just leaving i know like you're right outside so we, yeah. i don't want to make you wait and i just do this whole like fake thing the, he leaves i lock the door i go and i lock all the doors and i think i just like start crying because i just feel like oh my god it just almost happened again so i consult a lawyer i call the police at this point you know i'm thinking about getting a restraining order because this guy yeah. can show up at any moment so, you know, my lawyer advises me, like, try, try to set a boundary yourself. And my therapist says, try to set a boundary yourself before you get the police involved, because then, like, you can get into a court case. It's just, like, this long thing. And so I right. just think, okay, like, let me do this. So I do it. I, I, I schedule a meeting with this guy in a public place. And I go through point by point, you know, how the assault happened, what he did, and what he did to numerous other women. The end of the result is him saying to me, well, if you are ungrateful for the teaching, there's nothing I can do. Holy fucking shit. People, after all, do refer to me as the Messiah. Oh, my God. Okay, so he's just like a psychopath. So (laughs) So he's just a psychopath. Maybe a sociopath is maybe more the, you know. Both. Yeah, something along those lines. So I just said, you know, you know, I just said, I'm, I'm, I really hope you get the the mental health help that you need, but I want Mm -hmm. you to know that 
should you contact me again? Should you come anywhere near my yoga studio? Should I ever see you in person? I will call the police and I will issue a restraining order and I will file charges against you. Please never contact me again. I never want to see your face again. Not in my studio, nowhere around. So occasionally after that, he would send like, like, um, like, I don't, like, a, like a messengers, you know, is Kino still mad? Can I please come into the studio now? And I would be like, oh my God, that is so bizarre. So bizarre. So wow. Was, I feel like this was, this really was a huge wake up call to me about, okay, everyone in the yoga world is not, you know, just not angels and right. you know, these are people and there are people who may prey on, you know, uh, people uh, who are young and naive and, and, you know, it's not, it's, it, 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 it's real people and real boundaries need to be expressed and that sort of thing. So, but, so that was one um, really intense uh, kind of moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like, man, that really just like in terms of, you know, you had talked about kind of skepticism before. I mm-hmm. feel like now, anytime someone starts talking to me about like your chakras are blocked, I'm like, okay, <laughs> you're going to need to check yourself on that one. Because unless you are truly gifted as an energy healer and you see uh, the spinning wheels of the chakras and you are gifted in that capacity, I want, I don't want to hear another word from any chakra from you about this or that or something you read in a book or something you think is blocked. You're going to have to keep that to yourself. You're like, oh, you're overreacting. You have no idea. No, I don't think you're overreacting <laughs> at all. Um, I would just say like, because everybody everybody it seems like everybody is like this healer and this energy worker and you know you got to be actually certified to do reiki so if someone says that they're you know they're an energy healer like they should be certified and it's just people are so quick to to offer this like you know energy reassurance of like what's happening and i think this whole situation that you're explaining, it's just another reminder to like understand that not everybody has the best intentions, even in the yoga and spirituality world. Um, especially now with, you know, just social media and everybody's trying to sell themselves as a brand or make money and make a living off of people's, um, insecurities or trauma or, mm-hmm. Yoga, I feel like yoga is yoga, you know, and when a teacher gets too um, energetical about it, like in class, at least, like if you have like a private client that's wanting that kind of energy work, then yeah. But I feel like I like your mentality a lot because it's a realistic approach. It's yoga. It's a practice you know like you're you're literally practicing every day on instagram you have you you have you're doing the practice every day and i can't say that that's the same for every teacher right now mm-hmm. yeah I, I hear you and and i agree i mean it's sort of like we have we have the physical practice and it's meant as a foundation and i feel like w- sometimes people start wanting to go into this high esoteric you know, view of the subtle body and the inner body. And look, all of that is real. Like, you mm-hmm. know, when you penetrate the innermost teachings of yoga, it is, it's all real. But you can't fake that if it, you know, until it's happening for you, you know, when you, when you, it takes the discipline and years of practice to penetrate some of those, those, those very, very sacred innermost teachings of yoga. And, you know, it's, you can't casually throw them about here or there or this chakra that or this chakra that. It's like, well, hey, wait a minute. If, um, if you're going to say to someone, 
you know, your chakra is blocked, that's essentially, first of all, did they give you permission to scan their energy field? Right. Second of all, you know, did they ask for your advice about their chakras? You know? Right. You don't know what's going on in their world. Like, yeah. like I've, I've learned the hard way, you know, by saying, and years of teaching, you know, have, has, it's trial and error, you know, like I was so young when I started teaching and sometimes saying things to certain individuals is going to trigger them in a certain way. So you just, you never know what somebody's going through and just to keep it professional and, Mm -hmm. and all of that. And, you know, you explaining your experience with like this, you know, this sexualization and that kind of abuse. Um, I kind of went through a similar situation in, in Miami. I wasn't touched, um, but I was, he tried to get me to like sleep with him and since I said no and since I declined um then he fired me Mm -hmm. (laughs) so um it was such a bizarre thing and that was like and I, I was just getting into teaching too and I was just like whoa this is weird but thankfully nothing like that has happened after that and I miss teaching in in person. I miss everybody in Miami. I miss like just the energy that you feel when you're teaching a class. So hopefully things will get back to normal eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, you said I'm sorry that happened. That, that's awful. And I would imagine you're not the first person that that happened to. And I I would imagine unfortunately that there are probably women who said yes in the hopes of yep. you know being hired as a teacher and then have gotten into this kind of you know emotionally manipulative relationship with someone who probably was once their teacher and now and now and now is also their boss. And so that is a really unhealthy work relationship and I don't know what studio that is, but I, I hope it's no longer in existence. It's no longer in existence and I'll tell you off um when we're not recording. Mm-hmm. But um I know that we're getting we're getting to the end here. You you did mention therapy. Are you still in therapy? We're, we love therapy here. Yeah. So I have a really good therapist. I don't, I, I go through periods where I, you know, do a session with her and I've done a good series of sessions with her and there were some amazing, really, really helpful realizations. And she does, um, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy and somatic experiencing. And she's really, mm. really awesome. And one of the things that I just want to say to everybody who's listening is that yoga is awesome. Meditation is awesome. It's no substitute for a, a qualified mental health uh, therapy. So, you know, some people think that, oh, I'm doing yoga, everything's going to be fine. It's Mm -hmm. a great tool. And I feel it's part of a complementary approach. But if you are really, really struggling, like in those periods where I was struggling with depression from the outside looking in, you wouldn't have seen it. And it's not that since I started doing yoga, I just was never depressed again. I went through very deep periods of depression. One so deep when I was, you know, maybe a little less than 10 years ago that brought up the most intense suicidal ideation that I'd ever had in my entire life. I reached, you know, um, I was talking to my therapist and she said, you know, on a scale of one to 10, I have to tell you that I rate you as a 10 in terms of depression. And I think you're at risk of harming yourself. So you need to make some major life changes now. Wow. And you know, that, so that was like another kind of like rock bottom wake up call. And if I didn't have the therapist, I think I would have just been like out there searching and I may have reverted back to drug use again. I may have, you know, I may have tried to take my own life. I don't know. I mean, I, I was thinking about it regularly. It was just like daily, you know, detailed suicidal ideation. And from the outside looking in, you wouldn't like, nobody would have seen it. Um, you know, it just would have been this like veneer of 
whatever we see on the exterior where there was an intense suffering. At the same time, that period, with the help of, you know, with the help of my therapist, with the help of the tools of yoga and meditation, with the help of tools of making some lifestyle changes under the guidance of, under, under, um, you know, with my therapist, um, I, you know, was able to learn some really, really deep lessons that I think were deep spiritual lessons. And so there was in, uh, immense growth in that. And, you know, some people would describe it as, you know, like a dark night of the soul and mm -hmm. that you're, you know, going throughout the other end. And, and, um, and it was definitely, it was definitely a, a, a period, a period like that of mine, but brought about some major qualitative changes in who I am as a, a human being. And there's just been so many of those, like again and again. And every time I feel like I go into one of these dark, these dark spaces, um, I have the tools now to process what that's about and then not be afraid of it. So that it's not that, and so this is super important for anybody listening who goes through periods of depression. It's not that something, it's like it's not your fault, there's nothing wrong with you, and there's wisdom in your depression too. Like there, there's right. wisdom in there. There's yeah. intelligence in there, and there's something there for you, and there is a light at the end of the tunnel, and if you keep going and you get the help of people that can guide you along the path, there, like you will be stronger as a result of it. And there are there are lessons that you know, without sounding too you know crazy and esoteric and outside of this, like you know, ungrounded. I feel that there are there are there are reasons that we each incarnate, you know, lessons that we carry as uh, on on the level of our soul, and sometimes we need to go into those darks into those dark spaces to disconnect from the patterns that are working in our life so that we can come face to face with some of those some of those lessons that we may have incarnated to learn and we need that darkness to process we need that darkness and some people don't need the darkness they go in other ways but the people who have these the tendency towards depression it's not that it's not like a, a curse that you wear but but it's a way it's a you know there, there is a, again there is a wisdom in it and so yeah. so you know if you can dive in with the help of you know, your help of some spiritual practice, some spiritual techniques, some some good counselors, some good therapists, some good family and friends, or or people that can provide support for the journey, then then you can you can come out on the other on the other side of it with with with, with good lessons and some lessons that may be the entire reason that you're incarnate here on this planet. Yeah, like I think like whoa, <laughs> that was I mean I feel that because the depression, even though it's a dark emotion it can literally be be like shining a light on the things that are you know not in alignment in your life and also i want to say too like you could be doing yoga every day meditation every day and it can actually trigger you to feel depressed because you're actually dealing with all the trauma that maybe you stuffed down or you know things that are coming up from childhood or memories like i remember when i started doing hot yoga like all these wild memories were like just zapping me and then, like, I would feel, you know, like I was holding a lot of emotional stuff in my hips. And that also has to do with sexual trauma and stuff like that. So it's like, as you're doing yoga, you might be unlayering yourself and you might feel great. But it also comes with kind of like a host of, I don't want to say symptoms, but like side effects, I guess, of like the the, the awakening, I guess, is just, you know, it, it can be shadow work and inner work is also yeah triggering and Absolutely. and hard so I yeah definitely I like that message is just like get a therapist and talk about it because talking about it is different than keeping it in your body and moving and keeping it all up in your head mm -hmm. absolutely absolutely and keep going like don't give up don't give up the faith no matter how dark it seems keep going you know seek help if you can't afford a therapist then you know there are there are great uh, community resources for therapy if you you know, if you like, they're just reach out to someone. Yeah.
Well, I feel like I could talk to you for like a really long time <laughs> about everything. I feel like we, we, you know, could talk about so many other things and hopefully you can come back on the podcast um, eventually. But yeah, um, in the meantime, where can everybody find you uh, if you have anything that you'd like to um, share with anybody, anything you're working on? So everybody can always find me, you know, online at Kino Yoga, Instagram, YouTube, that sort of thing for the free, you know, social media interface. If you want to dive more deeply into practice with me, you can find me online on my online channel, which is OMSARS. That's O-M-S-T-A-R-S dot com. And if you want to find me in person in Miami, I'm at my studio, Miami Life Center. And Just no creeps, the- please. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> You have to check your chakras at the door. Please. <laughs> and for anybody who's brand new, newer to yoga or teachers looking for a reference about yoga, my new book, Get Your Yoga On, is uh, the first book that I've, I've done that's really targeted towards uh, making the practice truly accessible for all. And, you know, in the past, I've been writing about the Ashtanga yoga method and more, um, you know, presenting the posture in, a, uh, in its more traditional format. And so now this, this is the first book that I've written that's really meant for people that are newer to the practice. Um, we have all different students who are modeling the practice, including my mom, who you oh, know awesome. did her first yoga class, uh, you know, in her seventies. So you know, she's a pretty yoga awesome. model. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I love that. So we'll put that all in the show notes, of course. And um, next time I'm in Miami, I will definitely hit you up, and hopefully our paths can cross. So. I look forward to it.